great to be with you all here. Let's begin with prayer. I'm going to begin with a scripture from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. That is why I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I pray that he will bestow on you gifts in keeping with the riches of his glory. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the gift of coming together tonight in this holy place. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would stir in our hearts a longing to pray, to pray well. And Lord, I ask that you would anoint this time, this talk, for your glory, and that you would distribute among us a desire and a gifting, the graces we need to pray together, especially in our families, especially in those places of vocation where you've planted us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, a few years ago, I was giving a talk in downtown Seattle. I had to park my car in a parking garage because I couldn't get close to where the event was. And so I was kind of hustling along the sidewalk to make it to the event. And I happened to reach a corner where there were streetlights and the light turned red. And just as it turned red, there was a woman walking down the other sidewalk. And she was a woman probably in her 30s and probably struggling in life just the way she was dressed, the way she was carrying herself. And she turned and said to me, do you have any change? And so I looked at her and I said, well, what's your name? She said, my name's Debbie. When I, I didn't have any change, I, I looked into my wallet and I had a $5 bill. I said, Debbie, I said, I'm gonna give you this $5 bill, but first I wanna ask you, would it be okay if I prayed with you? And uh, she said, fine, great, let's pray. So I said, well, what can I pray for? What, what can I pray with you for? Here in downtown Seattle, right on a street corner. What can I pray with you for? And she said, well, they put me into this housing situation where I have this roommate, and boy, is she a bother. Pray that God gets that roommate out of my life. And I'm thinking, okay, I can do that, but I don't think you, you got the point. I think you're missing out on the point here. What do you want the Lord to do for you personally? And she's like, just get rid of my roommate. And as I'm talking with her, I'm also trying to listen, trying to listen to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. And I said, oh, Debbie, I said, I have to tell you something. I am an angel sent from God. And she took a step back. <laughs> I said, no, no, an angel means a messenger. And I said, look, I believe that the Lord intended for us to meet. This was a divine appointment. He set up our connection right here, right now, because God the Father wants you to know how much he loves you. He sees you, he knows you, Debbie, and he wants you to have an encounter through Jesus with his love. She just looked at me, her eyes wide open, and I said, would it be okay if I prayed for that? And she just nodded her head. And so I, I just said a prayer. Now, you just need to know this. To say a prayer with someone on a street corner in Seattle, and in a moment like this that God sets up, 
In order to do that, you have to have a theology degree, okay? That is not how it works, okay? What you need is what I'm going to talk about tonight, an openness, a willingness to enter into this reality of praying with someone else. So I did. I prayed with Debbie right there on the spot. Lord Jesus, just, and I just prayed in the simplest way. Lord Jesus, thank you for getting us to this moment. You set this up. Bless Debbie. Whatever she needs in her heart, may she come to know that you see her, you love her, and you will set her free. And Lord, bless that roommate situation too. And, uh, and I just said, may, Lord, may Debbie come to know how much delight the Father takes in her. Amen. And she looked up and said, amen. And then she said, can I have the $5? <laughs> Absolutely, Debbie. Here's the $5. Light turned green. I went that way. She went the other way. And that was it. That was it. Just an encounter, a moment of encounter. Okay, I just used a few words in that short story. But these words are important for understanding the idea, the reality of praying together. And when we understand these words and their context in faith, we're going to see why praying together happens too rarely and doesn't happen well. But boy, it ought to. Prayer in families, the ability to pray together as a family, as a couple with children, with grandchildren. I don't have any grandchildren yet. But then from there, extending that out and expanding to even being used by God to minister to someone else in prayer, these are special gifts and graces that the Lord intends us, his children, to have. He intends us, his children, to have these gifts. Now, I, I shared in an earlier presentation about what you should expect when the Lord is going to move you forward spiritually, when he moves you forward spiritually, especially when it comes to other people and in situations like this, like let's improve and let's develop and let's advance our praying together as a family, especially if you've not done it before, what should you expect when you do it? Remember I said there are five things you should expect, right? Remember the first one is you should expect it's going to be foreign. Like, okay, this is not something we've done before. When you go from not doing something to doing something, that foreign step is not going to be easy. So expect that, but don't let it stop you. What was the second thing? It was awkward. Right? It's not just that it's foreign, but when you start to do it, you're stumbling around. It's like trying to learn how to do a workout with weights for the first time or do, uh, do some kind of um, a step aerobics or something like that. Just good luck the first time you do it. It's awkward. But don't let that stop you. Don't let awkwardness stop you from advancing in what God wants you to do. The third thing I guarantee will happen if you try to advance in praying together as a family is the third thing is that you'll fail. Isn't this exciting? I want to do something that's going to feel foreign and awkward and lead me to fail. This is exactly what I want to do. Failure means what? We're going to try it, and then all of a sudden, it's just going to blow up, and it's just going to be like, whoa. Got my kids together. Everything was just so exciting. Watch what God's going to do. Let's pray a rosary together. And then all of a sudden, these kids start like, uh, like looking at each other. And so what I would do is I would say to them, for, for you all not praying the rosary, I'm going to punish you. 
you're going to pray a rosary. And they're like, Dad, you do realize you just said that this good thing is a punishment, right? So, so things are not going to be just success to success to glory to miracles happening and the angels singing. Okay, so, so far, what have we got? We've got foreign, awkward, failure. Okay, get ready. It only gets better. What's the next one? Spiritual attack. Do you know who's going to hate? Who's going to hate prayer happening in your marriage and in your family? The devil. Demons will be full alarm. Let's get at this family to trip them up, to stop them, to distract them, to get them to do anything but prayer. Expect it and don't let it stop you. Be ready to engage in spiritual warfare for the sake of your family. Boy, all of this to have a little prayer time at night with my family? Yeah, yeah. And then what's the last one? You'll bear fruit. You'll see God move. You'll see fruit come from your prayer time that you'll realize wasn't just human. It wasn't just lucky. It wasn't just something that naturally evolved. It was God. It was God. Some of the most beautiful moments I've seen in my family's life is after times of prayer, where all of a sudden they come from praying together to enjoying each other. Okay, so that's my introductory point. I'm going to introduce something into your life to say you want to go deeper. These are the things that you should expect. Okay, now I said that there are certain words. There are certain words that will be important for you to realize that are critical to understand the dynamic that will unfold in your life and in your most important relationships if you start to pray together. Those words are family, heart, and mediation. Whoa, those are interesting words. Family, heart, and mediation. First is the word family. Well, family is a very natural thing. It is. It's how God created the world, that we would grow and advance as human beings through that fundamental cell of society called family. But, oh, guess what? It's more than just a created reality. Jesus comes and is born in our midst, and he comes and reveals himself as, what, what is his title? He is the Son of God, his Father. The reality of family is not just a created reality. In fact, it's an uncreated reality. It's the ultimate reality. We worship and praise a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This theologically is called having a relational identity. Hmm, a relational identity. God has revealed that at the deepest depths of who God is in his infinite mystery is a relational identity of three infinite persons in a perfect union, a communion of persons. Relational identity means this. It's not first person, second person, third person. Those are all three individual entities that have some form of relationship. But father-son means what? I'm only father if there is a son. My very identity as father requires son. Son is only son because there is father. So this reality of, of God as a communion of persons that's infinite, perfect, eternal, that this God has created us in his image and likeness means 
that our relating as family, father, mother, husband, wife, children, that this reality has a natural level, but it's going to be elevated to a supernatural level. It has a human level, but it's going to be elevated if we have faith, we who are Catholic Christians, we are going to be elevated into a reality that is supernatural, that is divine. Jesus refers to his followers as what? Brothers and sisters. Uses the language of family. Uses the language of family. Brothers and sisters, you don't choose them. They're given to you. Get used to this face. You're going to see it for all eternity, right? Well, you're saying, I hope. Hope you make it, right? Yeah. So the reality of being elevated beyond a mere human community is that this human community is going to be elevated. And in being elevated, what the church says is it's going to be purified, cleansed, and transformed. So the elevation from nature by God's grace into a human divine community. And that's what our families are. Oh my goodness, did you hear it? Your family is intended by God to manifest something that is more than just human. Are you ready? Do you know what the church actually teaches? What the church says is this. If you want to know what the Trinity is like, if you want to know what the Trinity is like in the interior communion of persons, go hang out with the Burmans. Whoa! Go to the Deruder's house for dinner, and you'll see the Trinity on display. What? Yeah. The church says that a family as a communion of persons is meant to manifest the reality of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there's something about how we are willed by God, graced by God, empowered by God to live, that is meant to manifest, to show forth in this world a taste, a sense of God's own life. Because God himself entered this world as part of a family the Holy Family. He established a church that is the family of God. He taught us the perfect prayer where we cry out, Abba, Father, because of the Spirit who dwells in us that unites us to Christ, the bridegroom and bride. Family is everywhere. But I said it's elevated. And in being elevated, it's being transformed. And in being transformed, there has to be a death. There has to be a death. There's going to be some dying in order to have rising. The way we go from the natural to the supernatural is by dying in order to rise. It's the only way there, folks. You don't get to Easter Sunday except by going through Good Friday. And oh, by the way, Holy Saturday. We don't focus a lot on Holy Saturday, but that's not just passion. It's being dead with the dead. There's a mystery there of passion, suffering, death, resurrection, and then, yes, ascension into heaven.
This is the pattern of family life. Did you have any idea this is what we're going to hear about before we talked about praying the rosary together at night as a family, right? This is all behind that. And so in being elevated and dying, what's what is it that's going to die specifically so that something else can rise specifically if we're going to start praying well together? And the answer is the deadly sin of sloth. What? The deadly sin of sloth. That doesn't mean that we don't pray as a family because we're lazy. That's not what sloth is. That's not how it applies here. Sloth is the sin that manifests as an effect. The effect is you're resistant, you're sluggish. But the meaning of sloth is that we resist and rebel against the idea that we are created to find our joy in God. Let me say that again. We resist and rebel against the idea that we were made by God and elevated by God's grace to find our joy, our fulfillment, our life in God. A lot of us would rather find it in front of the TV, watching football on Sunday, or on the sidelines of watching our kid throw a ball, kick a ball, shoot a ball, do whatever, do some flips, right? It is amazing the, the human religions of sports that absorb the lives of so many of us. I'm putting me in on that. We know the idol that we pursued in sports for our kids' lives. And in pursuing it, it was like, wait a minute. Now I feel like the innkeeper. You know the guy I want to meet in heaven? It's the innkeeper on Christmas night, right? What are you going to say? What's that guy going to say for himself, right? Here you go. Jesus and Mary and Joseph, right? Showing up. Mary's pregnant, about to give birth. Shows up at the inn. He answers the door. My wife is going to give birth to a baby. What does he say? No room. We've got no room for you to be born into our dwelling place. We don't reject you. We don't drive you out. We just crowd you out. Ouch. Sloth does not drive out family prayer. Sloth crowds out family prayer, praying together, because we would rather find our satisfaction in doing things that a human level we just enjoy, we find satisfactory. It's just a lot easier. Easier than herding those cats to get into the room or to overcome the resistance and the awkwardness and the foreignness and the battle that's raging spiritually and the failure that we experienced and to say, all right, let's all try it again. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Whew. Right, that was the first word. <laughs> Let's go further. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, 
I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Let's talk about another reason why family prayer, praying together, is so difficult. What was the second word I said? Who remembers that? Five dollars from everybody who remembers. It was the word heart. The word heart. Now, I'm not going to get all touchy-feely. I'm not going to say we all get a hug, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Heart in the scriptures, in the Semitic mind, in the, in the, in the Jewish mind, meant the inmost center of the person. It was the place in the human person, in our lives, where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's the place of encounter. The heart is that space within us, that capacity within us, that is there to bring forth and bring out into the open that being made in the image of God means that we are made for relationship. That there's an ache inside of us And it is a relational ache. And that is the heart coming out into the open. So in the heart, in that dwelling place, remember, what what does St. Augustine say? Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, beginning of confessions. And what is he saying there? He's saying, we, we've been etched into the core, the, the very core of our being, core, heart of our being. We're made for a relationship with God. And when, when God comes to dwell in a way in the, in the core of our being, there's, there's a word that very naturally and quickly shows up. And that word is intimacy. There's a union, a communion, with God that is quite intimate. It's, it's hidden, it's secret. There's a, there's a coming into nearness where the Lord is longing to dwell within us and wants us to be able to allow that to come out into the open. Oh, that's another reason why, why prayer Praying as a couple, praying as a family is so difficult. It involves the heart and it involves the exposure, the openness, the sharing of your heart to another. That reality of being vulnerable is very risky. And honestly, if you think about it, just at a, again, let's say human level, supernatural level, at a human level, guess what? Our capacity to have a sensitivity to our own hearts, the capacity to have a sense of openness in an available heart is, guess what? Fundamentally shaped by personality, temperament, the life that you lived, how you were brought up, the decisions you made. And you know what that tends to put between us and the Lord? A nice brick wall between us and our hearts. 
Well, guess what? We, can, we got all the theology right. Talk to me about the head. We got all the morality right. Talk to me about behavior. We, we get all the rituals correct. Talk to me about following the commandments and, and the practices of the faith. But what is missing? It's what's hidden behind that brick wall. It's the Lord wanting to take down the bricks one at a time. Take down the bricks. And in taking down the bricks, begin to come in and dwell. I know, guys, it's hard. I know I'm not, you know, we're not going to hold hands and go dance in the fields, right? This is not what we're doing. But we all have that human heart. Now, why is that human heart and that, that heart that is open to, to allow the Lord to, to come near? Why is that so important? What's the third word? Who remembers? Come on now. Mediation. Anne is, she's flexing. She knew it was coming. Mediation. What in the world is that all about? Okay, if you were at Mass today, you heard a beautiful scriptural example of exactly what I'm talking about. This is the revelation that God gave um, so, that his, uh, so that his servants would, be make, uh, would make it known. But listen to mediation. This is the revelation God gave to Jesus Christ that he might show his servants down here what must happen very soon. He made it known, God made it known by giving it to Jesus who sent his angel to his servant John who then spoke it to the presiders of the churches who brought it to the servants. Did you track with all that? Are you tracking with me here? God didn't speak to the community. Oh, but he did. But how did God the Father speak to the community? God spoke through his Son, the revelation of God, the Word of God. But Jesus, who is the revelation of God, didn't just say, I speak to my people. No, I'm going to send my angel who's going to carry, mediate what I'm communicating to John, who was chosen specifically to mediate that message to the presiding spirits, the bishops of the seven churches. Do you know the word that is actually used in Revelation to identify the bishops of the seven churches? Angel. Ooh. Those overseers, those that are providing the leadership of the community, are angels. Bringing the message that God has to his people. The scriptures, our faith, is rooted in the reality of mediation. That God will speak immediately in a mediated way. Whoa, that's kind of mysterious. Kind of like the way in which Christ is present as Eucharist. He's present in a way that is personal and physical, but also, in a sense, mediated by the reality of what was bread and wine. Now, the physicality of his presence is manifest. So that's a sacramental mediation. Okay, why do I bring all this up? I'm looking at a bunch of angels. And I'm not just talking about 
street corner divine intervention. No, I'm talking about every day. Every day. Your angels in the relationships that God has established. You are the angels that God has established in these fundamental relationships. What are some of these fundamental relationships? Well, we've already been talking about them. Think of your vocation. God has called you to be husband, wife, mother, father. Many of you in this room, many of you are also grandparents. I'm not yet. Someday, hopefully, but not yet. So, not too soon, God. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) But uh, in this reality of mediation, what do we know? If God has established me as father, he wants me to mediate the reality of being a father to my children. Ephesians 3. That is why I kneel before the father before whom every father in heaven and on earth is named. There's a, what's the word? Mediation. There's a mediation going on. Now, guess what? If you're going to mediate, if you're going to be that funnel, if you're going to be that conduit, guess where the conduit is going to flow from? Ooh, what was that second word that I used? Heart. I can convey correct information about God the Father if I've studied some theology and I can pass it on to my kids. But God did not limit the vocation that he gave me as a father to the idea that I can get correct information and pass it on. Yeah, that's important. But what's critical? What's essential? What's essential is that I come to know the heart of the Father, that the heart of the Father can dwell in my heart so that when someone encounters me, when my kids encounter me, they're going to have a mediation. There's going to be a flowing forth from the the very heart of God into my heart and through my heart to my kids. Mediating the fatherliness of God. Did you realize that's what's at stake when you talk about family prayer? Yeah. What I want to say is this, is that Family that prays together stays together, right? It's, it's clever, right? Father Patrick Payton, an amazing holy priest of God who had these rosary rallies, right, in the 50s and 60s and around the world, in America especially, having an amazing impact. But is it true the family that, stays, that prays, prays together stays together? Sometimes. Sometimes. I had... I grew up near a family that prayed a rosary on their knees every day after dinner. And um, they didn't get to come out till they finished their family rosary. I'm not sure that two of them have, two of the bunch of kids that were part of that family kept their faith. So, and that family has experienced tremendous brokenness. Even though from an external standpoint, you almost couldn't find a stronger Catholic family. So that's at least an instance of this family that prayed together did not stay together in any of the most important ways. And so tonight, I want to talk about, yeah, I'm going to talk about praying a rosary, but I'm going to talk about 
praying for your family, with your family, and teaching your family to pray. And then from there, we're going to flow out to the idea of how do we actually pray with others as well, okay? Praying for your family. Now, you've hopefully got some of the the crucial points that I've been making as, as we've gone along so far, that God honors the relationships he established. So if he's established you as husband and wife, mother and father, and most of you here are in that circumstance, then know that God is going to honor your prayers on behalf of your spouse and your children. I already talked about this in the intercessory talk. There are are blessings, there are graces, there are gifts that the Lord has put into the stewardship that is yours as a husband, a wife, a mother, and a father. But there's also a way in which it's kind of a mysterious point. I'm just going to note it. I'm not going to focus on it. I'm just going to note it and then move forward. And it's this. God just might have you undergo certain sufferings, darkness, trials, might ask of you to extend yourself, even in heroic ways, spiritually, on behalf of unknown activity that the Lord is doing in your family's life. You might be undergoing things now that God is going to use 10, 20 years from now. You may have undergone things 20 years ago that the Lord is now going to cause to bear fruit right now in your own family's life. So there's a whole mystery of how God uses our lives when we make ourselves available, make ourselves available to him and say, Lord, I long to have your love that has come to my heart to flow through me to your children that are my children. So have a heart that is available. The Lord might just draw you into a crucifying union with his heart for the sake of the salvation of your kids' souls. That's a, just mention it, let me move forward. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Okay, so what are some of the things that we can do just to uh, make explicit that reality that we are called upon to pray for our family? Okay, praying for our family beyond the idea of intercessor, uh, being an intercessor. I, I say making a morning offering, praying prayers of protection, and praying blessings over their lives. Those are three things that you can do to pray for your kids. That's beyond all of the hidden things you do. Much of your prayer for your family will be hidden before it's ever visible. It's the secret prayers, penances, fasting, other kind of spiritual activity that you'll do that your kids will never find out about, they'll never know about. But the Lord uses that in a hidden way to till the soil for when you are actually praying with them. A morning offering is a way that you give your life and your children, each and all, your wife, your your husband, give them to God. 
Morning offering, three very simple things. I've shared this before over the summer in those teachings. What is, the, what is the morning offering made up of? Three simple statements. God, you are God and I am not. It's acknowledging that God is God. The second is, uh, shepherd me, Lord, and I will follow. It's putting yourself in a position to say, Lord, wherever you lead me today, I will honor you. I say yes in advance to even knowing what you ask of me. And the last is, this is my heart's desire, that you open your heart, that act of that heart, you open your heart to God intentionally. So you might use a traditional morning offering. And if you do that, beautiful. But use it in a way that's personal and in a way that gets to the heart. Lord, I'm opening my heart to you through this morning offering to acknowledge your God. I'm going to follow you, but this is what's in my heart. Please hear my heart's cry. The second is prayers of protection. I'm going to recommend a book. It's called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. It's a book of simple but very profound and, oh my goodness, kind of prayers. Well, when you pray them, it's praying out of the reality that there is spiritual warfare, that there are demons who hate you, hate your family, and are coming against you, and God has given you authority. Where God has positioned you, he not only honors those prayers, he's granted you an authority that is yours. And that authority can be exercised in prayer by praying for their protection, praying that demonic activity would be bound up and cast away from your kids' lives, from your family's lives. Learn to operate in that authority. That's, again, praying for your family. And lastly, praying blessings. Uh, my kids, when they were very young, used to say, as I was walking out the door, HKB, HKB, hugs, kiss, and blessing. They all wanted a hug, they wanted a kiss, and then they wanted me to bless them. And I'd bless them by just putting this, the, the cross on their forehead. And that is a privilege that is yours as a parent to pray for your kids, to pray a blessing over your kids. I will do that um, anytime my kids are taking a trip that is beyond an ordinary activity, or if they're leaving the house to do something where there's a lot at stake. I'll say, hold on, get over here, and I'm gonna pray a blessing over you, right? And again, in order to do that, to be able to pray a blessing over your kids, you don't need a theological degree. You just need the openness, the willingness, the sense of saying, I can do this. The Lord has granted me the authority. I'm going to pray that blessing. Watch what God will do. Okay, now let's talk about praying with your family. Praying with your family can be couples. It can be with kids as well. I'm just going to go through a number of things that Carrie and I have tried and failed, tried and found for awkward and foreign and failed and spiritual attack, but seen fruit breakthrough as well. Okay, these are things that um, uh, you're going to probably nod your head and say, got it, got it, got it. Let me even tell you how to do it better. That is awesome. I love it. Okay, first of all, take advantage of every opportunity. So I talked about leaving the house. Whenever we go on a family trip, right? And a family trip is any activity that's going to be like more than an hour. We pray a rosary. Get in the car. We're praying a rosary as a family. And the kids, the kids say, yay, only one? Thank you, at least a couple people know to laugh at that. They, they have never said that. What they'll say is, they'll hem and haw and gripe and grumble, and then eventually a couple of the older kids are like, look, 
this doesn't work. Let's get it over with. And so they begrudgingly enter into the family rosary on the car ride. But let me tell you, it has real impact. It has beautiful impact. It's not perfect. Kids are hiding away. They get their little ear pod in, hiding in the back. And so you got to be super creative with that, especially with us trying to do that with nine kiddos. Okay, um, leaving the house. Um, car rides. So when we would, um, oh, uh, when we would um, take our kids to school, driving our kids to school, we did something that was called PTPIA. PTPIA. Praise, thank, petition, intercede, and ask for intercession. So we would have, we would take turns, depending on the day, we'd have one of our kids do PTPIA on the way. And so it was, I praise you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for my health. I ask, Lord, that you would bless the test I'm about to take, petition, intercession. Lord, I ask that you would watch over all of our kids, all my brothers and sisters, that we also are safe from any danger. And I ask for the intercession of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. Praise, thank, petition, intercession, ask for intercession. Why do I do that? Why did we do that? For years, driving our kids to school, PTPIA. Why did we do that? We wanted to form in our kids different core elements of what you say to God when you pray. So you pray with your kids, and that's also teaching them how to pray, right? Um, of course, meals, right? You pray a blessing before a meal. Um, what we do to expand on that is we will end with, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord, amen. We'll say a prayer at the beginning of it, Lord our God, I just thank you for the gift of this day and all the ways that you've blessed us today. Lord, just bless, uh, bless the guest who's with us. As we pray, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. So you can use that as a way of expanding the blessing at the meal. When you start with a prayer that's more personal, it's coming from where? It's coming from the heart. And your kids are going to begin to experience the idea that when you talk to the Lord, you communicate to God out loud in front of even your family, you're talking from your heart. Kids don't get this quickly, easily, naturally. They don't. This is a supernatural thing. They've got to go through that death. It's going to be elevated. It's going to be transformed. No, this is something that we have to form in them through praying together. Otherwise, my kids, if we, in our family prayer time, if we don't kind of dial it in, they're praying for the dog and they're praying to beat the team in a basketball game next, the next day. Right? That's all they're praying. Oh, peace in the world, right? Come on, that's just a throwaway line. What's the one word to say? And then moving on. No, we have to expect more and we have to be able to model the more and we have to be able to form them in more. So PTPIA is all part of that. Okay. Um, family prayer times. So we pray as a family. We have a standard, which is we're praying as a family every night. Do we keep that every night? That's our standard. And there, are, there is prayer happening every night, but we don't always have everybody at the, in the family praying together at that time. 
But we don't just settle for less. We battle for it. We plan for it. We have a family meeting typically on Sundays where we get together and we map out our week. We talk about what's happening during the week and we get scheduled and all of that. And then we find a time that's going to work. 8.30, well, not tonight, but 8.30 right now is our current get-together as a, as a family and we're going to pray. And right now, what we're praying as a family is scripture. So we read a scripture together. And so what we're doing right now is, for instance, um, last night, um, we took the night prayer, night prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours. Let's pray that together. Actually, no, that was Saturday night, sorry. Last night, we actually went to night prayer. But um, uh, two nights ago, we had the Liturgy of the Hours out, night prayer, which involves a couple of psalms. And we had the kids, they know how to pray night prayer for the most part, and just go around the circle, read the scripture, and then shared what struck them in the scripture. And then at the end of all of that sharing and, and conversation, we then also said a prayer to the Lord. Now, family prayer times, keeping it fresh is not easy. It's not easy. Carrie, very clever. She got a jar, a prayer jar, and there were seven like folded up pieces of paper that had different kinds of prayer in it. So we would go through them all in the course of a week. So one was praying with scripture, one was a rosary, one was um, say what you're grateful for and what you're praying for, one was quiet time, one was divine mercy, chaplet, and, and then there were two other ones. Oh, one was a night off. You got a night off, right? Now, statistically, right, you should have all these just show up once a week. I can't tell you how many times they got a night off when they pulled it out of the jar. I, we didn't quite pick up on the fact that they were kind of shunting us towards that. And somehow the rosary never got picked during the clever prayer times that they had. So, uh, but there are other seasons. There are seasons in our family prayer time where we pray a rosary every day. Pray a rosary. Easiest to do during things like the month of May, month of October, season of Lent, season of Advent. And the kids have figured it out. Dad, that pretty much covers most of the year, right? So we pretty much got them all covered. But praying that family rosary, here's the mystery. The mystery is there is probably the biggest discrepancy you'll see in your life between input and output. The input is so ugly, but the output, we believe, is so strong, at least in our home. I know there are some homes that pray the rosary in a very devout way and they'd never miss it. I haven't met them yet, but I know they're out there. We, on the other hand, are not that family, right? So there are the, the battles, the, the struggles, the sit up straight, Carrie, sit up straight, would you? So just kidding. Sit up straight, right? All of those things that can get in the way, but it's still worth pushing through. I want to give you an insight that came from a, a, a holy priest called Father Tadeusz Dajer. He was a Polish priest. And he had a very profound thing to say about family prayer. And he said that the prayer of the mom or dad, the one leading the prayer, if you see that there is like turbulence and disturbance happening around you, don't correct it because it'll pull you out of prayer. Instead, redouble your effort to go deeper into prayer 
And that will have a magnetic pull to draw others from their disturbance into prayerfulness. Isn't that striking? Uh, and I just find that so powerful. And it's like, okay, because it's easier to just disrupt and, and correct. It's harder to say, okay, I need to up my game. I'm going to pray with more fervor, more devotion, with a greater sense of, Lord, we're looking to you. Grace us with the prayer. Help us to pray well, to draw others into prayer. So having a sense of expectant faith that the Lord is in fact doing something beyond what is visibly showing up. Again, that discrepancy between what shows up when you pray a family rosary and the actual fruit that the Lord is bringing forth in your family. It can look so different than it actually is. Um, Divine Mercy Chaplet, our kids came to love the Divine Mercy Chaplet because it was so much shorter than the rosary. Oh man, they would negotiate their way down to a Divine Mercy Chaplet so often. Oh, God bless them. Sometimes that I was going to give them the night off, and they just went right for the divine. All right, all right, harumph. We'll pray divine mercy chaplet. Um, okay, um, there are many creative ways to pray the rosary. This is now really for if you've got grandkids. Uh, Carrie again, super clever. She'd have like ten candles lit, little votive candles, and it was like you light a candle for every Hail Mary or take out the pictures of the mysteries and uh, spread them all out around on the ground, all you know, 20 mysteries and the Stations of the Cross. And one of the kids had to go find the mystery and then got to hold it up during the mystery, right? And that was cool. My 16-year-old loves that, just to hold that up, right? Uh, we would do a talk about it rosary. A talk about it rosary was, instead of praying uh, the Annunciation, Let's talk about it. What's happening in that mystery? Who's involved there? What's going on there? And then we would talk about it for a time, and then we would say one Hail Mary, and then we'd go to the next mystery. And you know what? It took longer than a rosary. It was amazing. So talk about it, rosary. We would do a 10 good Hail Mary rosary, right? So we would, oh no, five good Hail Mary rosary. So you don't have to do 10 Hail Marys, just do five good ones. And what would happen is everyone had to manifest a good Hail Mary, for me to put a finger up. And so I'd put up one and then two, and then, no, oh, that one wasn't good. And then, no, oh, that wasn't good either. You know how many, how many Hail Marys it took to get five good ones? It took 10. Yes. But it was amazing because the kids all of a sudden had this amazing like energy to pray it well. And they started correcting their siblings. Hey, stop that. Pray it better. Come on. And so, so clever, right? Thank you, Carrie, for clever. Um, so there are things that sometimes we have to do to up our game to be able to help the kids enter into prayer. Why? It's not just a natural activity. It's a supernatural activity. You've got to expect that sloth. They're going to have to overcome that. Okay, next. Other things that we would do, mass, right, of course. Now, if you're going to go to mass, pay attention to what this is. If you've got little kids, it's what time of day, where, what, what's the kind of music, what's the community like, right? But even now, in, in, in your stage of life, in your age and stage of life, you want to find a mass that you can enter into richly, you can enter into profoundly and not be distracted because it's about us reverently worshiping God, reverently entering into the holy sacrifice of the mass. The, um, the only last thing I would say is that... Um, Give yourself enough time to get ready for Mass. 
Carrie and I, when, in, when we were at our worst with the nine little kids, it took us an hour and 15 minutes to get ready for Mass. We had to start an hour and 15 minutes before the 10 o'clock Mass to get there on time. And it was, it was just, you know, alarm bells going off. Go, 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 just to get all these kids ready. Now, again, it was nine kids, 12 and under, right? And so it was crazy. And I remember, and so we get the kids into the 12-passenger van, and, and we're all kind of scattered, and just we zoomed to Mass this one time. And we're like, okay, let's get all the kids out. And, and I had a, a, my son, John Luke, at this time was probably about six, no, four years old, three years old. And I came to take him out of a, two years old, he took, take him out of his car seat, and he had on a monkey outfit. Now, I, I couldn't tell because it looked so nice. And he put himself in the car, and Carrie didn't check, I didn't check. And so we move into Mass, and the only place to sit was behind, right up front near where the priest was. And that son of a gun kid, as I'm holding him in my arms, he takes his tail, a monkey tail, and starts whipping it around. Oh, man, it was terrible. I'm still wounded. I'm still wounded, folks. So give yourself enough time to be able to get to Mass and peacefully enter into it. Um, going to bed, again, a beautiful time to do some kind of prayer. We tend to do our family prayer at night to let the kids then go off to bed after that. But that's a great time, again, to bless your kids. I know many families that have a richer experience of family prayer connected to bedtime than, than we do. Um, adoration, and that means also quiet prayer. I've talked about quiet prayer in the adoration talk. I've already just shared with you how important that was. Stations of the Cross was another beautiful devotion that we would do on Friday nights in Lent. But you get take the booklet home. Take the booklet home, and you can do Stations of the Cross at home. We got those pictures ourselves, so that was another devotion that you could, you could do. Um, and then lastly, I want to talk about um, when you teach your family to pray in the midst of all of this. When you're teaching your family to pray, one of the most important things you're doing is your being, I, I, I don't like to use the word because it, it, it can, it, it maybe can be a put off, a turn off is vulnerability. There, there's a, a way in which your family prayer, your praying together, calls forth the willingness to open your heart and make that visible in how you're praying. You're bringing out into visibility your relationship with God. Father, I just come, I come before you in Jesus' name, and I just love you. And I thank you that you are so merciful and that you showed me mercy today. I know I didn't deserve it, but you took care of me, and in doing that, you took care of my family. Thank you for loving us so much, Father, that you are our provider, and you will always take care of us. Amen. Now, you hear that, and you, everyone kind of, kind of freezes up a little bit. Like, okay, this is getting a little bit, what's that word? A little bit intimate. It's a little bit intimate. You're being welcomed in. What, what became manifest when I was praying? My heart. And so when your prayer 
is a manifestation, not just of your heart, but the heart is remembered, the place where the Spirit dwells. It's the place where the Lord lives. It's the place where the Lord will now start showing up through your prayer with others. That's the gift. That's elevating it beyond the experience you'll have as a family when you're playing a game together. Natural human thing, playing cards or whatever. No, you're elevating it, and God is shining forth. And so family prayer, praying with others, is very intimate. It's very powerful. It's a way where our kids are going to come to know that they're not just our kids, but they're children of God. God is their father. And so when they see that, then that becomes the model for them when it's their turn to pray. And still not perfect, still on the way, still growing and still those failures and attacks, but there will be some glorious moments. Seek the Lord in the intimacy of your own prayer and then be open to extend it to those around you. Not an easy path, but it's an indispensable path to us fulfilling our call in family. I pray that you'll fulfill that call.